Mac Power Users episode 508, One for Me and One for You with Sarah Dietschy. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen Hackett. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. That was very, uh, that felt like I, I felt that. It was like uh, you said hello, but you were also like giving me a hug at the same time. It was nice. I want to hug you. Wow. I, I need to hug. I haven't seen you in a long time. I feel like we don't get enough hugs in general. So you got to take them where you can get like them. Like as humanity, like as modern yes. humans. Yeah. Huh. I'm not really a hugger. That's why I go to Star Wars all the time. I got to hug the Wookiee, you know? See the Wookiee? Hug the Wookiee. Hmm. How does how does the Wookiee smell at, at, at Star Wars? Does he smell good? He smells dry cleaned. He smells dry cleaned. He smells dry cleaned. I, I feel like I go there enough now. I'm You know, there's a one middle-aged nerd that shows up in a vest that has a rebel patch on it. So now he recognizes me. Mm. I was there the other day. He walks past me. He just points at me. Sticks his fist out, fist bumps me, walks right past me. Just another day in Batu. You lead an interesting life. And I told my wife, I said, why did that make my whole day? I don't know, but it did. <laughs> Anyways, we have uh, a very special guest today. Uh, Sarah Dietschy, welcome to the podcast. What's up? Thanks for having me. I never thought about this, but you guys don't do this together. So you probably don't hang out all the time. That's weird. So you're like best friends. Pretty much. But then you never see each other. Yeah, like three or four times a year. Wow. For those who may not know who Sarah is, she is a YouTuber and a podcaster. She now has a secret startup, which I don't think we're going to get any secrets out of her, but she just announced that last week. Uh, Sarah, you're super busy and I want to get into some of that. Uh, but first, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do now. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, being on a Relay FM show is such an honor. Oh boy, uh, thank you. I, it, it truly is. Um, but hello, uh, my name is Sarah Dietschy, Rams with Peachy. I live in New York City. I have a YouTube channel. I've been making YouTube videos since 2011, but uh, for the past four years professionally. And I have a podcast and living in New York, uh, I live around a lot of creative friends. So that has led to, yeah, trying to solve a creative problem with a software company, which is a new venture. Um, but mostly I make videos about tech and creativity. So anything from uh, laptop reviews to phone reviews uh, to more of a mix of lifestyle uh, because I, I love tech, but in order to keep me um, stimulated, I, I kind of have to do some different things besides just chilling behind a desk and talking about tech. <laughs> so it's kind of a hodgepodge of everything, um, but m- mainly focus on tech and creativity. So it's an honor to be here. And I almost feel like, uh, I feel bad being on the Mac Power Users podcast because I'm, I'm still like 70% Windows, uh, which isn't that crazy? <laughs> we'll get to that. Hey, look, last week we had, we had a guy on who uses one of the Intel compute sticks, but he uses his iPad Pro as a display for Windows on the compute stick. So we're just, it takes all all types That's here on so MPU. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and, so and cool. honestly, Mac Power Users has always been aspirational. We want mm. folks, li- I mean, we're not just looking to make a show for Mac Power Users, we're looking to make for a show for people who want to become Mac Power Users. So we're all good. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I do have an iMac, which is a very recent uh, investment. So that's a new purchase of mine. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get into all that because I think you have a lot of interesting ideas on what the Mac is good at, what 
the Windows platform is good at, especially in creative work, which I, I find your videos on that really interesting as someone who I mean, runs a whole creative business from an iMac Pro, how other people uh, solve that in different ways. And I think you've got some interesting takes on that. I, I, can I just interject real quick about Sarah's YouTube channel? Because we talked about it, but we really didn't talk about it. If you're listening to the show, you need to go check it out because Sarah has, she, as she explains, it's a bunch of different types of content. You know, there's stuff in there about creative spaces. There's stuff in there about, you know, making video and camera comparisons. It's just a, I love the mix of it, but it's, there's a definite opinion to the whole channel. I mean, I went, when I was, preparing for the show yesterday i fell into like a four-hour hole on your youtube channel i never Love do that to hear that yeah thank you it, it, as i tell you before the show it cost me a new bike helmet um <laughs> you know just like it's it's cool i really i think uh, our audience will really like the stuff you're making because even though you do as you say you've got different interests there's an opinion and kind of an underlying theme to what you do and the production values are just amazing across the board so uh, it's really impressive what you've built over there. That means a lot. Yeah, I tend to not say that I'm a un like non biased reviewer because <laughs> I'm like, hey, you're coming to my YouTube channel for my opinion, and that's rooted in the problems that I have as kind of a creator first. So um, I think there's already a pl- like plenty of people who are you know non biased reviewers that can take a very subjective look at things and make beautiful things like Marquez. I definitely with my channel try to make it clear that hey, I'll try to be, you know, not biased, but this is also Sarah Peachy talking uh, from, you know, from my point of view. I th- I think that's such an interesting change if you look at people who were sort of grew up in a in a time where journalism or reporting was to be super objective, right? That's what I what I learned in school. But but today Mm-hmm. People look to individuals for their opinion on things, like the exact opposite of what yeah. sort of old school journalism is. And, and there are different things. There's, there's a place for both. But you know, one thing that I that I find so interesting about your channel in particular is that uh, and, and even in watching a video and something that I'm not particularly interested in or I'm not in, like I'm not in a market for a new camera, but I'll, I'll watch every video you do about new cameras because I like cameras like you're I can see your point of view over time changing and evolving. And I think you do a good job at explaining, you know, as your needs change as what you want changes, you know, this solution that I had is now replaced by something new. And I think it's interesting to see someone change and evolve as their their workflows as they change as a person and as their work changes too. And that's something we talk a lot about on the show is that mm-hmm. the workflow or the equipment that you have today may not meet your needs for tomorrow. And that's fine because, you know, new things come out, things change and uh, time moves on. 100%. And that's fun. It's more fun that way too, you know? <laughs> it's true. Especially if you're a gearhead and... Uh, oh. Totally. <laughs> I think you're guilty of that label. <laughs> oh, 100%. It all started with music and electric guitar, which was probably even more expensive than camera gear. <laughs> so, so let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about camera gear a little bit. What are you currently using to shoot your YouTube channel? So, I've always or not always to the point that you're making. Um, I started with in Canon land as we all do, but for the past 
three years, I've been pretty much all team Sony. Um, and when I was using Canon in the beginning, I was uh, using the original Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera. So um, it's been fun recently to come back around to the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera 4K and the 6K. And they solved a lot of problems of, of the original one. And I shot a lot of docu-series stuff on the original one. And it just, it had so many problems. So that's why when I abandoned that one and abandoned Canon, um, I just love Sony. I loved all the video features, the, you know, high frame rates. Um, Sony really in the past three years has kind of been the leader on the like prosumer $2,000, $3,000 best bang for your buck. Um, But yeah, recently, so I'm one, I'm pretty uh, Sony still, but I recently just, um, bought the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K and the 6K and have been using that for more of my interview stuff, things that are less YouTube-y. Um, so it's basically in between those two cameras and then the Sony a7 III, which is my go-to for most, probably I would say like 90% of my YouTube videos. You know, Blackmagic, I keep hearing the name. I, like I used to use one of their video cards before Apple made it a mm-hmm. lot easier to capture iOS stuff on the Mac. Yeah. Um, but they're, aren't they relatively new in the camera game? Somewhat. They've actually been more in the broadcast space in terms of, um, you know, the average consumer. Yes. Um, but they started with, you know, big old honking broadcast cameras, um, and they started with cinema cameras and then, you know, they're, they're very, um, accessible now which is interesting because they they really put impressive cinema features in literally a $1300 miniature cinema camera which is you know the Blackmagic 4K. Um so it's been it's been really fun to get back into that world. Um and then also at the same time dive into Resolve because I've always been a Premiere user. And I mean, I'm very connected to Adobe. They're like the reason why I'm where I am today as well. <laughs> so I don't want to ever talk bad about them because um, I had the Adobe Creative Residency, um, which basically they paid for my passion projects for a year. I had a salary. Amazing, right? I've always been like an Adobe hardcore user. Um, but just recently, there's been, you know, some stability issues, some frustrations. So I dove into Resolve recently and was very surprised. I mean, Blackmagic is kind of killing it on all fronts and Resolve is such a good video editor um, program for only like that, you know, one-time fee instead of the um, monthly subscription. At what point does someone go from like a Sony prosumer camera? I I know, I guess A7 really is not a prosumer. It's really a professional camera that a lot of consumers Mm -hmm. buy. But at what point do you know you need to jump up to the Blackmagic? What's so fun about it, too, is, you know, they're at similar price points. So I think a lot of people kind of go into it and and compare them. But you're right to say it is a completely different step. <laughs> like you have to this, you know, it doesn't autofocus. I mean, it does, but not well. So if this is something that you want to do YouTube, YouTube videos, you yourself and you and you don't have anyone else helping, the Black Magic is a terrible camera to use. Um, but for me... I do a lot of stuff outside of YouTube where, um, for an example, um, the hard drive 
company Lucy, I basically help run these filmmaking contests every month for them. So it's basically me in front of the camera interviewing a uh, person who is running a filmmaking contest. And I, I don't want to get up or have someone responsible for hitting the record button for twice because, you know, the Sony has the 30 minute record limit. So there's certain mm-hmm. things on these these cameras that are photo and video cameras that get in the way like a record limit that the black magic just completely doesn't have because it's a video camera like there is a stills button but there's no settings for that stills button it's just purely a video camera um and you know you you have the black magic raw you have prores um you have the 6k camera that you know you can record in 6k which is crazy and then you know maybe reframe for 4k the dynamic range too is just so different you know i'm filming these interviews in a lot of like lofty cool new york rooms and it's it's way more interesting to see what's outside the window than um it just being completely blown out so so things things like that it seems like that one of the differences, I mean, the Sony or most DSLRs are, do a lot of things. They can take good pictures. They can take good video. They do a lot of things. Whereas like the Blackmagic camera, it's a video camera. It's made to shoot video. Totally. 100%. And it's been interesting to explore that world because I totally was willing to go into um, the realm of, oh, the C200 and the FS5, FS7. But the value i'm just so much i'm i'm so used to like getting the bang for your buck right but w- when you start going to the cinema level and you're paying $7,000 or $5,000 you're just getting the body and then you got to add on an EVF and then you got to add on all of these things and and a lot of times they don't even shoot good Kodaks internally and i'm like wait i thought that's why i'm getting a cinema camera is i so i can shoot canon raw or all of these things um and so it was really the black magic just made so much sense for thirteen hundred dollars and twenty three hundred dollars when i had the ability to shoot 4k black magic raw 4k or 4k ProRes, um and it's still such a small body to where i can still one man uh bandit and interview people and um do all those things and carry all of my gear in only two bags i mean portability is huge for me so um yeah, as you can tell, I could probably talk about this for hours. <laughs> it is interesting to, to wind back a little bit how far uh, Sony has come in this arena. I, I too started on Canon and now have the a7 III and have been super happy with it, while Canon seems to be really struggling in that sort of price range. If you want to spend mm-hmm. a couple of grand, Canon just isn't there in a way that Sony's really really met the needs of a lot of people totally and they just don't have the specs and they're just so expensive and I, I i recently i mean i make fun of the eos r all the time just because it's you know their first real big attempt at full frame mirrorless um and then the new lenses that they're making for it are just massive and i'm just like well what's the point of like a smaller body if the lenses are bigger, even the, the, the DSLR lenses. And there's just so many things about it where it's like it's, you know, it's shooting cropped 4K and blah, blah, blah. And so the specs are never there. But what gets you with Canon is you shoot with it. And for some reason, it just looks so good. And it's it's one of those things where everyone says, oh, the colors, the colors, the colors. Like Canon's colors are always going to be better than Sony. And you have Sony Venice color 
slowly trickling down from its cinema line um, to other cameras, which I'm excited about. Um, but something about Canon's color. So I don't want to... It's it's very easy to be like, why are you choosing Canon? That is so dumb. But then I understand it because you shoot with it and it just looks fantastic right out of the camera. Yeah, I mean, and you're that's kind of advanced stuff for people. But I mean, once you see it, like if you look at, go on YouTube and search... Uh, you know, Canon color versus, and you'll see it. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. have to be an expert at this stuff. It's obvious there. And I think for some people, it's a taste thing too. Mm-hmm. It's like you either like it or you don't. And, uh, but, but uh, all three of us here uh, use Sony to shoot video. And I find that I can do color correction. It looks okay. Um, but I, but I do understand why people still are loyal to Canon because of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, same. I love my Sony's. I can get good color out of it. It's just after I use the EOSR, I'm like, okay, I understand now. Doesn't mean that I approve of you buying this slightly overpriced camera, but I understand. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that gets me is just the size of them. I was just looking at someone the other day. It's crazy, right? The most recent cam. It was like it looked like he was carrying a brick around, and um, and I'm just spoiled, you know, because like I, now I'm even sometimes I look at my Sony camera and I look at my iPhone and I'm like, huh, maybe today I'm not going to bring the Sony camera. <laughs> exactly. And I think, I think that's why, um, I had an obsession early on with the RX 100. I mean, I shot so much of my YouTube channel on just a Sony point and shoot RX 100 for the longest time. So I didn't, it wasn't until really like a year and a half ago, I guess when the a seven three came out is when I started um, setting down the RX 100 more and just permanently using that. But it, it just got too much to where, you know, they didn't have a mic jack for the RX 100. So the audio would always be terrible. And I'm sure you guys know as podcasters, you can forgive a bad image, but no one can forgive bad audio. So that didn't last too long. <laughs> you, know, you know, for our listeners, we've got a lot of listeners that are not making YouTube channels, but they are making like family videos and whatnot. Um, at what point do you think, because the RX series is a great, camera line where do you see that fitting between the video you shoot off something like that and something you shoot off a modern iphone or an android phone i think the rx 107 that was just released the most recent one i think that was the most recent one has finally hit such a good stride because now it has a mic jack for those times that you need it um but i i still think the rx 100 is so great especially for family stuff because i mean the iphone's amazing i do so much stuff with my iphone um but when it comes to like you're just at that family event or something and you just want to crop in on sally like forget everyone else so once you start cropping in on things and maybe brightening them up and you know try to do a little bit of editing the the flexibility that you have with like a legitimate um picture from you know the one inch sensor from the rx100 it's just like like there is a certain quality still um you know with the sensor size and the zeiss glass in front of the rx100 where um i think like still it's 100 percent worth it um but then you know you can make the argument that mirrorless cameras have gotten such at a good price point and then you have even sony's aps-c line with the 6400 and the 6500 and the 6100 there's so many um and you can have interchangeable lenses with that and you can shoot 4k 60 frames and you have the aps-c well it's like oh well why don't i just go for that 
And then you start thinking, oh, wait, if I'm going to do that, why don't I go the full frame in the A7 line? So it's like, it's one of those things that I always tell people that just get the camera that you know you'll bring. So the RX100, 100%, I still think is going to be a better option than your iPhone, especially with video and audio. Um, But if you know you're never going to bring that camera to that event, just don't buy it. Yeah. Um, and then if you're never going to bring that a seven three to the family event, just get an RX 100 and you'll be fine. Cause it's small and it's handy and you're going to, you're going to bring it with you everywhere. It's like, we're living through this great democratization of camera technology. Like, like even, you know, anybody now for a very small amount of money can have what used to be very expensive and professional gear. Yeah. And it's, it's been fun recently. I've been kind of getting back into not back into I've been getting into film (laughs) like oh yeah I shot film when I was 10 years old um my grandpa gave me his old Leica camera and so it's been really fun for me to kind of do the exact opposite and learn a little bit about composition and uh because I I think when we're so obsessed with taking you know a hundred pictures on our iPhone to get that one there's a lack of curation there's a lack of composition there's a lack of understanding what makes a good picture and it's been so fun to experiment with that because I used to scoff at people who shot film I was like what is your problem um but it's really taught me the value of what makes a good picture and hey instead of shooting 40 pictures that I'm never gonna look at on the iPhone how about I just focus on taking like one or two really good pictures making sure they're good and you know make sure they're good enough and organized enough to where I can look back on it yeah, I, I was that kind of nerd in junior high where I was friends with the teacher that had the dark room, you know, so, <laughs> you know, we still shoot our own black and white and we'd go develop it ourselves. And I honestly cannot imagine doing that ever again. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like so over it. I can't even tell you. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com MPU to get a $25 credit on any plan. SaneBox may be my most used web service. SaneBox helps me manage the deluge of email that I receive every day. I've had a few releases in the past months uh, over at the Max Sparky Field Guides, and that means the old inbox has been getting hammered. SaneBox has my back the whole time, sorting email with uncanny precision into different folders automatically so I can find everything I need exactly where I expect it. Best of all, SaneBox works everywhere. I've been trying some different applications out on iOS and macOS, and SaneBox follows me along. The mail tools and plugins are breaking everywhere, but not SaneBox. SaneBox runs in the cloud, so no matter how many times you update your operating system, change to different platforms, or just decide to switch a mail app, SaneBox keeps working for you. There is a whole lot SaneBox can do to help you tame your email, like it can send you reminders when people don't reply, it can auto-sort for you, you can even put junk mail into the same black hole and never see anything from that sender again. If you want to get better at email, SaneBox can watch your back. Head over to SaneBox.com MPU and use the link in the show notes here to get a $25 credit on any plan. Thanks SaneBox for helping me out with my email and all of your support of the Mac Power Users. Sarah, I want to talk a little bit about your workflow. First, uh, sort of on the pre-production side, uh, how do you 
uh, manage what is going to be on your YouTube channel? How do you collect ideas? How do you organize them? How does something go from an idea to something that, that we're watching at home? So this is probably the one thing in my life that has always been constant chaos, but an interesting one since I am trying to get more organized as I'm trying to hire people. Um, and it's honestly the hardest thing I think I've ever done in my life because when you are a solopreneur and the only thing that matters is just you, there's some um, process that lacks. Mm-hmm. That's honestly an understatement. But um, for for me, it's it's really always been what kind of video do I want to make and then what is topical and going on in the tech world or the YouTube world and kind of how can I combine those two things. So for for me, I have to also be careful not to, I just, I basically came to terms with I'm not the YouTuber who's going to cover every single piece of tech. This, I usually cover iPhones, Samsung and Google Pixel um, for phones. And even this year, I just didn't even cover the Pixel because I didn't think it was going to be interesting. And I was kind of right, which is great. So I didn't waste my time on it. But um, so it's really picking and choosing. I think, oh, here, it boils down to something that I say. I say like one for me, one for you. A video like that, one for me, is basically like a 20 minute docu style film about a really cool camera company that's going to come out in two weeks. I'm really excited about it. Um, They didn't pay me for it. I traveled across the world to shoot it. It took so much of my time. Um, But hey, it's like a passion project, right? That's for me. And then the the one for them is like, okay, a new iPad came out. Honestly, I don't really care about making a video about it, but it fits into my life. Let's see what I can say about it. It'll probably do decent views. So might as well do it. So in terms of picking what I do, I just try to have a balance of that. And then in terms of jotting down ideas, I'm a huge, this is probably like the opposite answer you want to hear, but I am like such a huge sticky note person (laughs) to where my life is just in sticky notes everywhere. And then if it makes it to one of my apps on my iPhone, that means it'll probably be an actual thing that happens. Um, (laughs) So I I honestly just use Apple Notes and the um, Things app where it's basically just a a list-taking app for iPhone and iPad and iMac. Um, So outside, and then I use Asana for organization between me and my uh, my manager to just handle, okay, we have Squarespace this week and we have Clean My Mac this week and what videos, you know, just so we're on the same page with that. So Mm -hmm. there is a certain level of organization, but as I'm trying to hire people, I'm realizing, oh, I can't sit and film a talking head piece for 40 minutes and expect another editor to trim it down to the 10 minutes I want. Like, that's just impossible. (laughs) So now I'm going away from, ooh, like, it's fun for me because I just find the story in the edit. You can't do that when you have other people. So I'm getting better with pre-production and kind of narrowing down what I want to say before. um, But that has been the biggest challenge for me, truthfully. (laughs) Now, it's a huge difference between doing it yourself and bringing other people on. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that usually works the first time right. It's something that evolves, right? Once you start doing it, you find the friction points. and 100%. And that's something you have to continue to work on. Totally. Hired my first full-time employee and it like lasted like four months. And I was like, you know what? Okay, I learned a lot. Most of it was my fault. Um, And then we'll try again. And I... 
you know, I, I learned a lot. I learned that I think I'm going to be better with just a solid team of freelancers because having someone at my beck and call every single day, Monday through Friday, puts a crazy amount of pressure on me um, where essentially is it's just another job and it stressed me out. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I think I've learned a lot, but it's it, a lot of people don't talk about it. Why are people not talking about the freak out of going from a one person team to just <laughs> two or three? I'm like dying over here. <laughs> no, I think the those those step ups in business are the hardest things that people don't realize. Everybody thinks, well, the hardest part of a business is when it starts failing. That's not the hardest part because you know exactly what to do then, right? like to save it. But yeah. but when you go from small to medium and medium to large, there's like a million things you can do wrong that you're not even aware of. Yeah, even in the beginning when I was you know, when I was doing electrical engineering in college and I was miserable and I needed any creative outlet that I could find for to be a job. Um, even though I was so desperate during that time and I was so miserable, it was still on me. It was only me who could change my destiny. And even though, you know, there was a lot of sleepless nights and, you know, feelings of desperation here and there, and it was a long journey of three years of figuring it out, it was still just me. Like I had 100% all of the control. So even in, in comparison to that, it's still just such a different beast. I am not going to shame you for the sticky note situation. Like I just, I'm <laughs> not going to do that. But I do have a question about you said you're using things and then Asana with other people. Yeah. How do you sort of know where the line is when it's a task for you and then one that you need to share with somebody else? Is there friction uh, between those two things for you? Always. Oh, 100%. 100%. (laughs) When it comes to my personal YouTube channel, um, the hardest thing for me to delegate is editing, just because editing has always been my thing. Filming came second. So if someone wants to help me film, I really don't have a hard time delegating that to someone. Um, But with editing, I'm very confident in those skills. And that's kind of where my ego comes in. You know, I'm like, oh, there's no one who can do it better than me or the same as me and on some level no one's gonna be me but guess what there's like better better editors out there they would cost a ton and then there's also editors who can get it to 90 percent and they might be a little bit more affordable and I can just do that last 10 percent so that's that's the hardest thing for me but the easiest thing has been the stuff that I didn't want to do from the beginning so um delegating to my manager you know talking to brands and uh hiring a lawyer to do all the contracts and uh hiring a person to edit my podcast see that's something that I've successfully delegated because the most creative part of a podcast is the conversation Mm -hmm. um so that's something that I've been able to sit in a google doc write out every single step you know this is here's a template for premiere here's a template for this so that's one thing that I'm very proud of myself that I did that that's on a automatic flow Um, but it's always the stuff that you love to do that's really hard to delegate but of course editing is the um, the thing that takes the longest and is kind of the most annoying (laughs) well I would argue it's, it's not even just the thing that you love to do it's probably something that you've taken on as part of your identity you know, it's like, you're like no, mm, I'm the editor. That's good. Uh, this yeah, is my thing. Exactly. I'm good at it. And it's so hard to delegate your identity. You're right. Mm. You have to separate that. True. I, I think that that's something I run into all the time. Yeah, there's something attached to it where 
I in the back of my head I'm like if I get an editor people will not think I'm like authentic you know I think that's the one thing I can bring to the table is telling a story through the edit and so that's constantly been in the back of my head of just a a fear from people that oh she's not legit she doesn't edit her videos when in reality 95% of YouTube videos are not edited by the person who's on the camera for the top people <laughs> for the top like um, percentage yeah, yeah. so it's a journey but you talked earlier in the show about editing software and i made some notes here a lot of our listeners are like iMovie maybe final cut people mm-hmm. tell it what is the state the status of editing software these days for people doing high-end stuff like yourself so th- this is also super fun for me to make videos on but they take the longest that's usually how that works recently i basically switched to resolve for two months and i coming from adobe premiere it wasn't that hard of a transition um i just wanted to see if it was on like the same level the same features um, what were the pros and cons and then i wanted to do the same thing with final cut but it's so funny i haven't even told my audience this yet but at the end of the resolve video i was like i'm editing this video in final cut tune in next month to figure out what my thoughts are on final cut but i just gave up i could not take final cut um (laughs) i literally like my brain does not compute that was strange because usually i'm like i can conquer anything editing but that's just that shows you how different adobe and resolve are to final cut so it's almost like if you have a flow in final cut and it works for you and you're happy in your apple ecosystem stay stay there you're good you paid a one-time price for your software and they've been updating it pretty well so you're good um but i think where people are are finding kind of like a frustration is over in the premiere side so i found resolve it really it is really easy to transition from premiere to resolve just if you have like a week two weeks to set aside resolve is very fast there is a similar feeling to the magnetic timeline and final cut in resolve um it is I say that it isn't a magnetic timeline, um, but it just moves super smoothly. That is something that I've only felt in Final Cut. Premiere is not smooth. (laughs) It's like it's pretty clunky. Um, But with that in Premiere, you what I love about it is you get a ton of like precision. I mean, if you're dragging a clip, you can drag it one frame by one frame. You can go in there with a blade tool and cut something you know zoom out all the way and cut one frame um so that's what premiere is really great at and premiere is great with editorial stuff with sharing templates making mogarts um so if you're working with a team you can send a really low uh you know project file to a person who can just reconnect the media super quick and you'll be fine i don't like how resolve basically organizes its uh, projects into um basically a project database so it's basically a vault for all of your projects and they don't actually store any of the project data within the folder where all your footage is don't like that um but then resolve has a lot of great built-in transitions and tools that enable honestly youtube editing like you're, you're able to do stuff that you need to do in youtube videos very quickly um from the project window you can basically resize you can crop you can um do a ken burns transition all from like you don't have to go into effects go into settings um there's presets that is basically just like the wipe transition and you know the transitions of um 
uh, just transitioning from, you know, a B-roll to a B-roll clip really smoothly, or maybe you're doing a zoom in to like a, um, like a blog post, you know, it does those things really easily. So it was really confusing, honestly, for me, because I loved so many things in Resolved, Resolve, and then I, I still love so many things in Premiere. And honestly, I wish they could just combine and make like a super mega video editing uh, software because Resolve has the color too, um, a lot of flexibility with color grading. So there are my thoughts. <laughs> I, I like what you said about if you have something that works for you, it may not be worth the the cost of switching. Like I use Final Cut for my stuff and I could do what I need to get done. And, and, and this is coming from somebody who also uses Audition which is like Premiere's sibling for audio, but also use Logic. And in audio, I'm, I can be more flexible. But uh, there is one factor that uh, you didn't mention, but you talk a lot about on your channel, which is performance. And I know that people over the years have complained about the Mac and Premiere. And I wonder if you could shed a little light on that. It's in a better position. So I actually do have a recent video that I made where I... Um, showed some projects in Premiere on the MacBook and in terms of render times it has improved dramatically so a lot of that has to do with um, like Intel QuickSync and using Metal and all that yada yada um, I've I've tried to play fair and talk to the Premiere team talk to the Resolve team and make sure um, you know everything that I'm doing is somewhat the the way that they would recommend um so premiere has gotten substantially better in terms of render time so just an example if i was on a macbook um doesn't matter really what year a 2017 up until like a 2019 macbook if i was exporting a 40 minute 1080p interview um it would always take more time than um than the actual amount of time the video is, if you had color grading on it, because I usually always have color on my stuff. So like a 40 minute interview would basically take an hour, 20 minutes to export. Um, but now with a recent update and the use of Intel QuickSync and just the hardware encoding of H.264 and H.265 um, or HEVC, getting too much in the weeds. Um, with that, they've just improved so many things. And now that same 40 minute 10, 1080p interview would now only take like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, depending on what effects you have on it. So wow. crazy improvements. Um, but then you still have general concerns about stability. So as someone who's in Premiere almost every single day, I, I have seen huge improvements in stability it's not crashing every day um, but it still crashes much more I mean when I was in Resolve for a couple months um, it it didn't crash once I, I think the only related um, closing of the program that I had was just because it was something with my hard drive or something it wasn't directly related but um, you just you don't understand or I guess people don't understand if you're in Premiere, the type of stability that other people have, um, if it's Resolve or Final Cut. I mean, maybe you guys can speak with this with Final Cut, because um, not from my personal experience, but it seems like everyone's screaming on the internet at me when I bad talk <laughs> Final Cut is it never crashes. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so really in terms of with macOS, it isn't a concern anymore with render times. Of course, if you have like a, RTX NVIDIA graphics card and you, you're dealing with a lot of graphics and you have that in your laptop, of course, Premiere is still going to be fa faster on a Windows machine um, with the CUDA processing. Um, but it's it's gotten bearable now. 
Yeah, that's a, a lot of frustration, I think, from the the high end of the Mac market is the Max GPUs, you know, in the even in the MacBook yeah. Pro, it's it's just not what you can get on the the PC side. And the Mac Pro, the forthcoming Mac Pro, will change that. But then you're in a really expensive machine. Yeah, most people are doing this sort of work. And who's going to buy that? <laughs> Out, like outside of Disney Studios, legitimately, who is going to buy that? <laughs> I mean, I have, I have a coffee can in my office, and every time I pass it, I put a dollar in. So eventually, <laughs> I'll be set. Amazing. But a lot of people are doing work on notebooks, right? Like most people don't have desktops. Even in the professional world, people are working on the road and going to events. And and that that GPU situation in the MacBook Pros just can't keep up with Mm -hmm. what some OEMs are doing on the Windows side. I mean, literally the past two and a half years, I've had this huge journey into Windows land. It's never coming from a place where, oh, I'm team Apple or team Windows, whatever. Like I could honestly care less. Um, I could care less what you do with your desktop because I'm sitting in front of iMac because I wanted something pretty for my apartment, but that still had power. I wasn't going to build like a huge PC tower. Mm -hmm. Um, And just certain things fit certain needs. But the one huge glaring problem that I had that... I still don't get why anyone buys a maxed out like $4,000 15-inch MacBook Pro because it just it doesn't perform on the same level that you can get from similar or even more specced out things um, from, you know, the other OEMs like Dell, Asus, all those people. Um, But I understand that Windows is scary for a lot of people. So I completely understand if you want to stay in the ecosystem. It's just if you need like raw power, Mm -hmm. I'm just so disappointed in the MacBook Pros. So disappointed. (laughs) This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Omni Group. The developers behind such great hits is OmniFocus and Omni Outliner. But today I want to talk about the Omni Sync server. You may think, well, that's not an application, that's just some service. But it's the service to keep your information in the Omni apps in sync. It's all built in and completely free, getting your data across Macs, iPads, and iPhones. You can even use your Omni Sync server account to log in to the new OmniFocus on the web. There's a big conversation to be had about security and if your data is safe online. And with the OmniSync server, it is. Communication to and from the server is encrypted using secure HTTPS connections, just like the traffic between your computer and your online banking website. And data is encrypted on the server as well. OmniFocus will sync your entire database with the server, including perspectives and important settings. OmniPlan, OmniOutliner, and OmniGraffle will sync data there as well. And again, you can start on the Mac, pick up your iPad or iPhone, and you're off to the races. And Omni Group offers this for free because they want their customers to have the best possible experience. That's something that I really respect. So learn more over at theomnigroup.com. The Omni Group is passionate about productivity for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad, and we thank them for supporting the show. So what are you using day-to-day for computer hardware? Yeah, so it's split in between, I guess I would say, three machines most of the time when I'm not reviewing another laptop. So it's basically my F131 main gear PC desktop at my office with the 49-inch ultra-wide display, which I'm just obsessed with. I love it so much. And then... Yeah, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject for a second. Yeah. So we, I don't know if we've talked to anybody on the Mac side using an ultra wide display, but David is a multi display 
uh, person. Yes. He's got, he's got two external displays on his iMac Pro. There was so much judgment in the way you said that. <laughs> and, well, try to keep it out of my voice, but I couldn't help it. Uh, so, so what if, if you had to like pitch an ultra wide display to somebody? Oh, like, what's the gosh. elevator pitch for a monitor like that? Uh, David, I have to ask: Are you a Final Cut person? Do you edit f- with Final Cut? Yeah, yeah, I I, I do edits okay. in Final Cut. Yeah, but I mean, the reason I—that's not the reason I have multiple monitors, though. Yeah. So, well, that's my honestly my biggest thing when people say, you know, oh, what's the thing with ultra wides? Is I'm like, just open up a Premiere timeline. <laughs> it's like so amazing to just because you, in Premiere you can basically rearrange your folders any way you want and if you're used to being cramped on a laptop for viewing the timeline you're always like in a fight for space and when you're on a 49 inch ultra wide and you just see this beautiful long Premiere timeline and you don't have to sit there and zoom in zoom out you know like crazy and you can have all of your effects folders and all of your different footage just sprawled out everywhere um it's like nothing else and then you still have room you know over there on the left or right maybe for like a chrome tab you know so you can pull some assets pull some music so um it's just i love it so much i truly do i know that's not a good like elevator pitch but in terms of like (laughs) adobe products and just putting everything out in the open um not having to minimize anything or put it in another space it's just it's so fun yeah, well, we hear a lot from uh, software developers who use them for similar reasons, where you have a lot of assets and you have, you know, you have your mm-hmm. uh, your Xcode or TextMate or whatever it is, but you also need a bunch of images and you need documentation and yeah. having it all up at once where you can see it all is just more efficient and faster than you know command tabbing through a bunch of windows all day. Yeah, I would definitely recommend. Maybe the 34-inch ultra-wides for normal people because the 49 is just – it is complete overkill. Um, I don't think it fit on my desk. I'm sitting here looking at my <laughs> – yeah. de- I'm not sure it would fit. It's just – it's so – it's one of those things, too, when people come into the office, I'm like, hey, check out my ultra-wide. You know, it's like one of those things you, you show <laughs> off to people. <laughs> the scene in Batman, right, where he's wired all the cell phones to find the Joker? Like, that's that's oh. what it is. Oh, yes. Now, when you're not doing video editing, do you use the extra pixels then, too? Like, do you have a Microsoft Word page, like, mm. 80 inches wide? You, I mean, honestly, it's... We have, it's, we have to turn your head yeah, while you edit it. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a bunch of Chrome windows and maybe Spotify um, when, when not editing. I'm very... Um, I don't know what the word for it is. Um, ADD. We'll say that in terms of, you know, when I have ideas, oh, I have to go here, blah, blah, blah. So it, it is nice to have like five Chrome tabs open with, um, you know, if I'm on that computer, I'll have just Apple notes pulled up from iCloud and then I'll have my email and then I'll have YouTube um, and, and all of that stuff. So it's nice to, to space out anything and everything. And you can also do the, the split thing where if you have a Windows um desktop you can also like plug in your macbook or something and have that be half the screen and then you can share the mouse in between there's a lot of cool ways to do it yeah i mean for one one of my externals because there are two (laughs) one of them is always the calendar and the task list it's just i know in my head it's always off to the side and yeah you know steven hates it but you know (laughs) one day we're going to convert him no no, I don't. I don't think so. No, I, I appreciate that. I like mini displays. Yeah. So that's about thirty percent, and then the other 
33% is um, my Dell XPS 9570. Um, you know, it has like a 1050 Ti in there, one terabyte SSD. Um, and then an i7, because I still, I don't trust any computers with i9s. Um, until re- recently, I used the Asus ZenBook Pro Duo, and it's the first laptop I've ever used, and it's a little chunky, you know, it basically has vents, but it's the first laptop I ever used that, like, properly cooled an i9, and it just screamed. It was, like, amazing. I'm trying to get my hands on one permanently, but if I don't, I'll just keep rocking my Dell XPS 9570. Um, I love that laptop. I think I've used it for almost a year now. And then I have the, so the other 33% is when I'm at home and I use the new iMac. Yeah. The 27 inch iMac that I basically just got really tired hunching over at using my Dell XPS at my apartment. And I didn't, I just, I didn't want something that I needed a computer that basically blended in a little bit because, you know, I'm in New York, kind of in a small apartment. It needs to look nice. I don't want to have a big, there's no room for a big desktop PC. Um, And I was like, hey, the iMac has everything that the MacBook doesn't. Like the iMac has ports. It has USB-A. It has USB-C, Thunderbolt 3. It has an SD card slot, which is crazy, like amazing. (laughs) Um, and it has a really nice display attached to a pretty powerful computer. So I went with the um, the, the newer updated 9th gen i9 instead of going with the iMac Pro just because it seemed when I was specking it out, it just seemed like a like better value. Um, and I didn't I didn't need the Xeon processor. Um, but yeah, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I just updated my own RAM. I think I have do I have 64 or 128? Wait, I want to sound cool. Oh, I can't sound cool. I only have 64. Um, <laughs> but that's enough. <laughs> oh, only? Yeah. yeah I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's a good blend of things. And then iPhone, you know, the new iPhone 11 Pro is my go-to phone. Uh, the most important question is which color? The midnight green. Oh, man. I just... Two of I, you. I have to go for the for the new. You know, it's so tempting. Usually, what what color do you have? I did the the black. You know, the the default. Okay. I don't know. I was nervous about the green. It looks way better in person, but yeah. you know, when you pre-order, like, what if it's not exactly what I want? But I know David is yeah. in love with it. Um, yeah, it's great, and it's one of those things where selfishly too, you want to be able to signal to people that you have the new phone. Uh, yeah. And hey. <laughs> It's green. It's the new color. So it's the easiest way to do (laughs) that. (laughs) You know, also has three cameras, but the color is what counts. But this one isn't particularly good if you want to do the show off thing, because it looks so close to gray that I don't think a lot of people will even notice. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Here we are in 2019, heading into 2020, and the web is such a big deal for everyone. Everybody needs a website for something. Maybe you're making an online store portfolio. Maybe you're getting married and you want to make a website for that, or you're getting ready to have a baby. Or maybe you're like me and you just want a platform to talk about nerdy things like I do over at Max Sparky. No matter what your reason for getting on the internet is, Squarespace is how you do it. With Squarespace, it's an all-in-one platform that does the hosting, has the web software. It's got everything for you. There's nothing to install or no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. 
They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I love Squarespace because I use it for all of the web stuff I do. Max Sparky is there. Sparks ESQ is there. In fact, that was one of my first defining moments as I was setting up my legal website, getting ready to leave the firm, going to Squarespace, getting that domain with Squarespace, and, and setting up the account. Building that website for me was therapeutic. And you can do it too for just $12 a month. There's no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU. Build your awesome website with the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Sarah, one thing I wanted to ask you about is with all the media you do, you've got to have a real killer backup system in place. And as boring <laughs> as it sounds, whenever I talk to people who do a lot of media, yeah. I want to know how they keep everything packed up. Well, this is exciting because I basically just um, solidified a solution that I'm happy with, which is very rare. Because, you know, when it comes to that, it always seems to be like a random slew of hard drives and, oh, I should probably back this up here. And then you just get, you know, lost. But yeah, um, you do that until one day it doesn't work for you. And then you're like, oh, this doesn't work. Exactly. Um, So I got really tired of individual hard drives for storage and backups. So basically, um, because I spend I split my time in between my apartment and my office, I got a Synology NAS for the office. So um, that way when I'm editing with a second editor, sometimes they're, you know, all they have to do is connect via ethernet and we can share projects very quickly. And then there's a lot of cool software with the Synology NAS that um, just makes it super easy to where you can do a like a two-way transfer to where I can always have everything backed up that's on my SSD or my hard drives on my PC there, my, my desktop. So I basically have four terabytes of just hard disks and then I have one terabyte SSD and a five, uh, 12 terabyte SSD all in my PC. So I have so much footage all over the place on that computer all the time. And I found myself needing a way to access that, but I never think about it. So the NAS always being plugged into the network, my computer always being plugged into the network. It's been, it's been really nice that I set up basically these two-way transfers where my uh, one terabyte, five twelve, and four terabyte folders on my computer basically are a Synology folder, but they're stored locally on um so basically they copy and i can edit off of my drives locally and they do everything normal um there but then at the same time they're um the moment i drop that footage on my computer they're being copied over to the nas um at the same time so i have all of my backup footage on that nas when i'm done with a project you know it lands in a folder but then at the same time i basically have my entire desktop pc covered and it it it'll back up live. You know, the moment I throw any new footage on it, it'll go into that four terabyte folder or the one terabyte folder, um, which has helped a lot because you can also use 
the oh what's it called i think it's called quick connect where you can basically log into your nas from anywhere you are and basically access it like google drive or something it is a little bit slower than google drive when it comes to downloading um but it it yeah solved that problem and then at my apartment i have a Lassie six big with like 60 terabytes um so it is again raid like the nas um but what's nice about this is it's not a nas you know it's basically just a huge just huge uh hard drives <laughs> um but it's also raid so there's a little bit of redundancy but it's thunderbolt 3 so with the imac i can basically access all of my footage that i've ever recorded really really quickly um and so basically everything that is on the nas my office is also in on the six big um at my apartment um and yeah, it's basically those two things. And then I keep current projects always on like the SSDs of the computer. So if I'm on my Dell, I'm editing video, it's like on that SSD. And then I also carry around like spare Samsung T5s and Lassie Ruggeds for if I need to back up on the road or, you know, if I'm shooting 4K, I just need more room. But um, I it, it pains me to see people edit videos off of like hard disks it's just like so sad because it's like guys your your internal ssd is like going 2000 megabytes per second and you're like giving it 200 megabytes per second um so so yeah yeah i always tell people you know if, if you can just keep enough space on that ssd yeah to do your video edits even if you can't store everything there once you're done yeah it's, it's going to be so much faster the uh the bit about having it two places is important as well. We did our, our backup episode uh, a while a while back now towards the beginning of the year. That was a, a big thing we talked about was it's good to have your data on an external drive or have it someplace else, but until it's on two drives or in two locations, it's still really only one copy, right? Like it's, it's still temporary until it's two places. Totally. Yeah. And I feel like it's so funny because I recently made a video about this and just the way the internet works. It's so lovely. It's like, even when you think you're covered, then there's always that person who comments and no, 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 not two places. You also need a third backup. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, guys, the best backup solution is the one that you're going to keep up with. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if I had to worry about a third backup, I wouldn't keep up with it and it would be useless. So I feel like I'm double safe because, you know, both of these things are also RAID. So I do have some, some leaning where if one drive fails, if two drives fails at my uh, office, then, you know, I can just replace the drives and it'll rebuild. So mm -hmm. I feel like I'm fine person on the internet. Wait a second. Uh, someone on the internet, a stranger thought that you were wrong about something and told you that? Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and having it automated is key too, right? If it's something you have to manually do, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to forget to do it. So it sounds like you've got that covered as well with a Synology software handling all that data migration for you. Yeah, it's it's super handy. So the only thing that I have to um, manually do is just make sure that double backup is going in between the NAS and the LACI 6 big. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes I'll do that over the interwebs, but usually it's easiest where I basically just keep a folder on each one where it just says like, 
2019 copy to NAS. So that'll be a folder on my six big. And then on my NAS, it'll say like 2019 copy to six big to where, you know, once it fills up, I have a few projects. I'll basically just plug in, you know, a T5 um, to one of them. And then next time I go to the office, I'll just transfer that to the NAS and to make sure that's um, to make sure they're in two places. But it's, it's nice that I, I can just basically because I travel a lot, the automation is there for when I need footage off of my iMac, when I need footage off of my computer in my office. Because I also, this is a good pro tip for people um, who don't, you know, want to invest in NAS solution, but need to access off of their computer when they travel. I downloaded the Chrome remote desktop and it's so cool to use because you can basically just log into your computer and say oh I need to grab that project off my desktop you can upload it to Google Drive from you know anywhere in the world um, and your problem is solved so I have that installed on my iMac so basically all of my computers are accessible wherever I am um, and then my XPS will be with me really wherever I am. This is the second week in a row we've haven't had a guest recommend that Chrome Remote Desktop product. It's fantastic. It's free. I mean, I'm sure you're selling something to Google, but aren't we all owned by Google at this point? <laughs> Just write it off. Mm-hmm. It is cool because remote management is something that's even like on the Mac with something like screens. You know, you know they've gotten rid of the uh, back to my Mac and iCloud. That's that's gone. It's kind of a tricky deal because sometimes you got to deal with, you know, opening ports and you got to deal with like your firewall and to have something that just handles it for you automatically is nice, especially when you're out on the road and you've left that one thing you really need in your office. I think we've all been there. And and with with media files, I mean, you can't keep all those on Dropbox, right? It's different Mm -hmm. if you're looking for a contract or some, some sort of document, maybe that's on iCloud Drive or Dropbox or Google Drive. But these big files, you can't you can't sync them to the cloud in any sort of reasonable way. So you you are sort of in like an offline world when it comes to your storage. Yeah, 100%. Just put it on iCloud Drive, Sarah. Nothing, nothing will go wrong, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I don't trust iCloud Drive. It's funny. Usually I trust Apple more than Google in general, but then I use Google for most of my services. I mean, I love Google Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Gmail. Yeah, strange. Because publicly facing, if you ask me, like, who do you trust more? I'd say, oh, Apple, for sure. Um, but then yeah. that's not how I treat my data. So There's di- there's different kinds of trust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is. And, you know, like Relay runs on, on Google Apps or G Suite or whatever they're calling it now. And Yeah. Because all those features are there and it, it all just works. But uh, there's always options. So, Sarah, in addition to doing this uh, this YouTube channel, as if that didn't keep you busy enough, you are also uh, a podcaster. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so my show is called That Creative Life, um, and it's had many different forms on my YouTube channel because I just I love interviewing people and kind of the more documentary style stuff. And then when podcasts got, <laughs> I don't want to say popular because they've been around for forever. I don't want you guys to hate me for saying that. Um, but when they started really popping off about a year and a half ago, I was like, hey, I think this name, this brand, it makes more sense as a podcast and I can get back to interviewing people because the way my YouTube channel started is I, uh, one of the first projects I did was a docuseries called Creative Spaces TV and I wasn't even in the videos. Um, 
And it was a way for me to just interview an entrepreneur, a creative, and figure out how they do what they do and where they do it. And that was so much fun for me. I think still that's one of my favorite things to do. So um, starting a podcast where I just interview, you know, YouTubers, CEOs, artists, anyone in between uh, seemed like a, a, a easier way to kind of get back to my roots of interviewing people and having content that's a little less Sarah focused because um, when you're constantly filming yourself and editing yourself there's just a little bit of I wouldn't say resentment but <laughs> it's just a weird feeling when everything suddenly revolves around you so that creative life has been a, a really fun way for me to just like dive into other people's lives extract those stories figure out hey how do, how do we make money making art because still I think it's a little bit taboo um and and trying to extract lessons from business people that can also help artists because I've always found myself kind of um you know at this intersection wanting to make good art but also um really enjoying business and and really enjoying um you know how people uh, build businesses so it's kind of a, a blend of that and it's been super fun I think I'm like 60 episodes in um I've talked to a lot of amazing people it, it was fun to kick off the the show Gary Vaynerchuk was my first guest um and I've interviewed you know any from Austin Evans Jonathan Morrison um Tyler Stallman in the YouTube space and and then you know CEO wise uh Main Gear PC we've had the um CEO of that on Neelai Patel, who's the editor-in-chief at The Verge, Jack Conti, who's a CEO of Patreon. So um, just really good insights from from people who are out there killing it. And it's it's been a lot of fun because it also takes pressure off of me. I love asking people questions and then kind of just shutting up. <laughs> it's one of those things, too, where because I'm sure you guys get this question a lot. People are like, hey, how do I start a podcast? Because Relay FM is like the I don't even know how to. I mean, you know what y'all are doing over there, right? And so I'm sure you get that question <laughs> a lot of like, how do I start a podcast? Which blah, blah, blah. And I think yeah. people... Yeah. Every day. Oh, I'm, I'm sure at this point you guys probably have like a blog post to point to. Uh, we do. And with uh, Mike and Jason did like an episode of Upgrade all about it. Like cool. basically like for this episode, we're just going to talk about how you podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... To those people, <laughs> I, I would say people always look at it as a way, like another thing to monetize, which is completely fine. Like, yes, monetize your art, go for it. Um, but what I found the what the most value is, is just having like providing value one to the guest so they're willing to get in a room with you talk with you for an hour, get to know you more personally. Um, and it's it's just such a good way to build relationships with people otherwise you probably wouldn't um and and you know me selfishly I just I love to create with people that's how I hang out with people I don't really have a lot of friends <laughs> but um for me like this talking to you guys is like I probably we probably wouldn't grab dinner together but this is like the same <laughs> the same thing right I love creating with people and and you guys are my friends now right that's how I bond with friends so it's as long as you can look at it as something that you enjoy you're going to enjoy doing and also if you can be strategic with it where you're um, if it's an interview show or if it's where you're reaching out to people you can really use it as a tool where you're providing value to these people I'm sure it's going to be so much more fun to accept 
being a podcast guest than it is hey can I pick your brain for five minutes over coffee you know so it's really just a good hack in general to hang out with people who you want and to yeah dissect how they do what they do no I I agree I mean it's just so fun learning about people and and the nice thing about podcasting is you get to share it but it's also because of the technology you get to combine people from all over the place you know yeah. a lot of the stuff you do is in person but we we try to you know we reach out because steven and i are obviously aren't in the same zip mm-hmm. code but um it, it's a wonderful medium i love it yeah and i'm such a consumer of it too that you know every morning when i'm getting ready for the day I put on a Tim Ferriss podcast or a Really FM podcast or, um, you know, something where I know it's like a good hour chunk. It's going to be productive. Um, and then, you know, I commute all the time on the subway and stuff. So it just it seems like a even though I love music, it seems like a more productive way to like spend that time as well with <laughs> podcasts or audiobooks. Well, it's different from video, too, that it is a uh sort of a secondary activity, right? You can be washing the dishes or walking the dog or (laughs) washing the dog if the dog is dirty. I don't know. Whatever whatever you need to do while listening. And that that is possible with a YouTube video, but definitely more difficult, especially if it's something like a product review where it's important to like see the shots of the thing and try to understand it. Whereas with podcasts, you can go about your day and still be learning, still be hearing about somebody's story. Totally. Yeah, I think it's such an important medium because I think people are getting more busy um people are becoming you know much more okay with just putting on an hour podcast and consuming it like the way you said it um so in in terms of you know how people are creating I think it's so important to pay attention to audio because it it's only going to get bigger this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Hover When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Where do you start? For a ton of people, Hover is that first big leap because your business often starts with a domain name. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. So no matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. Hover has excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have, and they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. Hover comes with free who is privacy, so bad guys don't get your info, really clean user experience when you're buying and renewing domains, and monthly sales on popular top-level domains. So it's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for starting businesses. I've used Hover for years, and anytime I have a new project, that's where I start. Their domain search tools are really great. You can plug in a keyword, and it will suggest domains that are available to you, and very oftentimes, it sparks even more creative ideas. So go buy a domain and start using it today. Head on over to hover.com MPU and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That URL one more time is hover.com MPU. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Sarah, before we let you go... I wanted to hear a little bit of some of your favorite apps and services that you're using to get all this work done. Yes. Yeah. So it's been fun because um, recently I've put an iPad back in my workflow. Um, usually it doesn't last very long, so we'll see. I'm still using it, which is great. Um, but I, I went back to a note-taking app that I used in college. I'm surprised that it's still around, but it's so great. And um, it's called Notability. And one of the coolest features is you can basically 
audio record at the same time that you're writing notes and it'll keep that mm-hmm. um it'll keep that audio and it'll correspond with what you wrote so if you preview the audio it'll be like oh you were down here on the second page when this you know when it was this place in the audio and blah blah, blah. so um it's been yeah a fun note taking tool um and then like we talked before i use things asana and um it's been fun to get into shortcuts too and it's it's crazy that i'm talking to you guys today because i just released a new podcast um about shortcuts interviewing matthew Casanelli. do you guys know who that is yes yeah yeah we do okay yeah so he's amazing he basically taught me about the crazy world of shortcuts um and it's honestly just made having an ipad even more fun um and so yeah i kind of got schooled for an hour just on shortcuts the way to use them and um and honestly though i'm using them more on my iphone than even on the ipad so we'll we'll see how long the ipad thing lasts i'm usually i'm usually just my iphone and you know my laptop um but with iPad OS, they've made it, they've just made the iPad fun. <laughs> like the different split view and uh, the other view, I totally forgot what it's called. Um, it's, it's now just fun. I guess I don't know any other way to put it. I mean, do you guys use iPad? I know a lot of people do I laptop replacement over there, but. Well, I mean, I use it as my laptop yeah. because uh, it's it just. And the, the, in addition, you know, the, the term I always use is delightful. It's like there's something about using it yeah. that there's a certain amount of delight that I don't get in using a laptop. And I know that sounds really dumb, but it's true. And uh, I like using it. But the other thing is Apple has really, I think they've turned it up the last couple of years with iOS 13. Like a lot of the problems that used to keep me from using it more often have been eliminated and it's not all of them. And there's still things that are easier with a laptop, but um, a lot of the, like the, the game stoppers are gone now. Like most, I I bet you'll find as you use the iPad, most of the stuff you need to do, uh, you can do. It may take a little longer, but you can do it. Whereas a few years ago, there was a bunch of stuff you just couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't have to video edit, (laughs) I would totally, hop on board with the laptop replacement but the fact that i'm editing videos probably 60 percent of the time y'all y'all still can't convince me to switch to luma fusion like i'm <laughs> i i just i can't stand all these videos where it's like yes i am a professional video creator and i only use my ipad i'm like i don't believe you i just don't believe you <laughs> well, well sarah as weird as this sounds you're too old because <laughs> there are people out there that grew up using these touch devices yeah yeah. We're gonna look. They're gonna look back at it, and they're gonna see like all your keyboard shortcuts and everything. They're gonna go, "That is madness!" Yep. <laughs> like you had to like go to school to learn how to edit video because you guys had this crazy cockamamie system. So it's just honestly, it is really weird. But but you're too old. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Yeah, I, I'm convinced that it will become iPads and laptops will definitely blend. And again, the maybe this is why Apple doesn't want to put touch displays and stuff in their laptops because hey like just buy an ipad instead but um over in windows land i mean what they're doing with the two-in-ones are amazing and i've you know my even my dell xps has a touch screen and i find myself touching it all the time but it's one of those things where um 
it's like how will these worlds blend i'm i'm still not like a keyboard is i feel like a keyboard a physical keyboard is still going to be necessary for video editing maybe not a not a mouse but but yeah i'm i'm up for the challenge i'm willing to see i think that's a future video someday Oh, totally. I want to see Sarah edit a video <laughs> on her iPad. Jonathan Morrison did it on an iPod Touch. So, so funny. You, you yeah. got this. Video sponsored by <laughs> LumaFusion, right? <laughs> yeah. or, or Rush. I bet that video gets made before the one where she edits it on Final Cut. <laughs> true. Honestly, true. Yeah. <laughs> so now that you're using the iPad, have you stumbled into any other apps other than Notability that, that, that delight you? Gosh, I mean, honestly, this would probably be a good time to turn the question to you, David. Tell me some apps I should be using on my iPad. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you, Notability is amazing. The, the thing you said about the way it indexes the audio to the way you're writing, it's so great. that is the killer feature of that application. If like you're a student and you're writing down, like you're writing a note saying, you know, you know, Napoleonic War it will index the recording yeah. to the moment you were writing that. You just tap on it later and it'll start playing whatever you're recording from the professor at the moment you're writing it's that. It's so sick. Yeah. Uh, however, if you just want a note-taking app, like a like like a traditional notebook, I would say that I think I like GoodNotes better. Okay. Um, Good, GoodNotes is a similar app. It doesn't have that audio feature, but the handwriting engine is really powerful. Um, right now in their beta, they've got a feature where it has a built-in powerful scanner. Hmm. So like if you're like me and sometimes you write things on maybe a post-it note or a piece of paper, you can just hold up your iPad or your iPhone to that and it automatically write, draws the boundary around it and saves it as a digital image to your GoodNotes notebook. If you like Notability, I think GoodNotes is another one that you may want to explore. And then also I would look at with the stuff you're doing, look at some of the brainstorming stuff. Because the way you describe the way you use sticky pads, it's just a brainstorming tool for you. That's the first filter, right? You write things down. And then once you decide, okay, this is a real project, then it starts becoming digital for you. Um, Some of the, there's some really great brainstorming apps. MindNote is my favorite. And uh, I did produce the videos, the tutorial videos for them years ago. So call me biased, but it's on all devices. It's on iPad and iPhone and Mac. So you can brainstorm into that as a digital platform as opposed to sticky notes. That may be something worth trying. I really like that sort of work on the iPad paired with the Apple Pencil. Yeah. Especially, you know, MindNote and GoodNotes where you can write things out and sort of you're not constrained to just what text can mm-hmm. give you. I'm not a huge mind mapping person, but when I need to do it, that's always what I reach for. Then do college professors, is there a, a thing now? Like, do they allow you to record them? When you do something like notability, oh, yeah. no, I mean, even when I was in college, what, like uh, four or five years ago, um, I used my iPad and used notability. And even though there wasn't the Apple Pencil, you could just get one of those um, uh, like digital pins off of Amazon that would have that ball at the end with the little yeah. plastic circle thing. Yeah. Um, and it was great. And that's what I used. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> it's weird to come back to notability five years later and be like, oh, it really hasn't changed that much. Yeah. It's just way better with the Apple Pencil. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good college setup, actually, an iPad mini. 
like one of the little ones mm-hmm. that now supports the the first generation Apple Pencil and Notability. Yeah. Boy, that takes almost no room in your backpack and you're good. Totally. Definitely better than like lugging around a 15 inch power book like some of us <laughs> did, right? Like I was that one guy like had to sit near the wall to keep it plugged in. Do you have a mouse too? You had to have a mouse. I did not have a mouse. I would today because I hate trackpads, but then I was younger and didn't know that trackpads would eventually, you know, destroy my hands. So, but now I would be that guy. No, no shame. How about the uh, same question on your iPhone? Are there any apps that cause you joy when you use them? Yeah, I am so boring because I'm like such a stock app person. I actually made a video about this where I was like, why I use all Google apps? Because um, it, it really, yeah, as a person sure. who is very Windows as well, um, I've, I've always been on iPhone. Very rarely in my life have I been on Android. But um, being so split in between Windows and Mac, I'm, I'm honestly finding myself even though i use um things is the one iphone app that i love and i sure. always use and I, I never get away from but even recently i've been kind of straying away from notability and just using apple notes because it's so easy when i'm on my laptop or my desktop at my office i just log into icloud over the web and there's like a web notes version um that's what i so struggle with i'm like notability why don't you just have a web version that with limited, you know, features, but you could still type into a note and I can finish my thoughts on maybe no matter what device I'm using. Besides things in Asana, I am so like Google Drive and yeah, so I'm I'm Google Drive, Google Photos and, and Gmail. And I've I've I'm slowly getting back to Apple Mail just because I'm learning how to use the VIP feature. And actually, you know what spurred this is the to, uh, the Today View. Um, now that that's just, I actually use it more with shortcuts and I'm in my calendar features and it's always on my iPad. Um, I really like the Today View widget where you can have like only the VIP emails in your um in there so that's actually why i'm trying apple mail again um because i i do love like the smart features of gmail and so i'll go in you know my two important emails uh just access them via gmail but in terms of viewing everything um apple mail actually has kind of gone gone back into my workflow well, you know, I was I was just had an email from a listener saying, you know, they don't want to use the Gmail app, but they use Gmail. And then my point was, look, yeah, <laughs> you got to stop fighting it. I feel like if you're going to use Gmail, you just got to use the Google Gmail app because a lot of the features just don't come over. I mean, you can still have Apple Mail running to get you the VIPs and whatnot. But but honestly, so much of the Gmail, the goodness of using yeah. Google is staying with their like st- I, I recommend on the on a desktop computer, just use their web client. I think it's better than the apps. And mm-hmm. on the iOS devices, you just yeah. got to use the Google apps if that's what you're going to do. And the, the app is great because you can have an aggregate um inbox where it's all of your emails in one so i think a lot of people get freaked out because they think oh i can't view my five emails that i have because i'm one of those psychos who literally has six different email addresses um but it does it well it's still smart you know it says hey you haven't replied to this person in three days um which is sometimes the worst but um i'm a yeah i'm a big fan of of gmail but it always i I always kind of go back to stock apps as sad as that is And I three days. I, I replied to a listener after six months, and they wrote me back, and they thought they thought I was insane. They're like, "Look, <laughs> next time it's six months old, you don't have to reply." 
<laughs> that's I mean that sounds like me I basically I respond to the emails that my manager yeah. texts me to respond to and then yes yeah, Stephen basically DM'd me on Twitter and that's pretty much the only reason why I'm here on this <laughs> lovely podcast today if it was strictly email <laughs> this would have never happened yeah never would have made it <laughs> yeah sometimes you just gotta go right to the source you know all right Sarah Dietschy sounds like peachy Thanks so much for coming on the Mac Power Users. Everybody listening to the show, go over and check out this amazing YouTube channel. I like I said, it you will fall into a hole. <laughs> it did cost me a new bike helmet, and uh, I, I'm not even I'm a subscriber now, one of your Heck many. Yes. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next. That means so much. Where should people go if they want to learn more about yeah, what you're so up to? Luckily. I'm easy. It's at Sarah Dietschy everywhere, um, but that's not the easiest name. So if you just want to Google me, you can Google Sarah Peachy, and then I'm sure you can go down to the show notes for the rest because it is a very difficult name to spell. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, YouTube, podcast. Um, I am starting a new project that I, I can't say a ton about, but if you hate editing micro content, you could go put in your email to switchboard.ai and you're going to get an email in January 2020 that will hopefully solve your problems. Uh, just leave it. Don't say anymore. Leave it mystery, mysterious enough, right? Yeah. There, there you, you go. go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we are the Mac Power Users. Thanks again, Sarah, for coming on the show. Thank you to our sponsors, SaneBox, Omni Group, Squarespace, and Hover. And we'll see you all next week.